Hello, everyone. Welcome to Summons from Gallifrey. This is the podcast that talks about the British science fiction television show, Doctor Who, the classic Doctor Who. Ugh. I have to come up with a better intro line. Anyways, my name is Eric, and I'm here with my co-host, Colin. How's it going? Pretty good, Colin. How about you? Pretty good. It's It's been a while since we talked. Uh, I sure has. The, the, I think we've changed companies. You've moved. We've we've had kids. Some of them have yep. been started driving. Um, yep. Let's see. The, the timestamp I have on this note for the episode we're going to talk about today, the story we're going to talk about today, was November 2022. So That was just the other day, right? That was, I mean, yeah. It's only been a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's that whole pandemic timeline now. Yeah. Although, we were just re- resting. That's right. That's right. We, there was that much to go over for this story. We had to give it yep. the full year to soak in. Cool. Yep. Yeah. For so, me, I was pining for the fjords. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about season 20's Terminus which was the middle chapter of the Black Guardian trilogy. All right. Which I am now going to have to go back and watch because I, I haven't seen any of that. And so <clears throat> as, I'm, as I'm watching this episode, I'm like, who is that guy and what's this all about? Why does he want to kill the doctor? How does he? Right. So I, I've got, I had so many questions. I, I'm going to have to go back and watch the whole thing now. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely get to that. We'll get to that. Um, I keep I keep confusing not confusing I keep misusing episode and story, so <laughs> kind of one of those weird things. Anyway, uh, yeah. So it, it, uh, Terminus was part of season twenty, which was obviously a special anniversary season just because of the number. And so what they decided to do, um, John Nathan Turner, the producer, and Eric Sayward, the lead scriptwriter. They came up with an idea to bring back the White and Black Guardians, which were introduced during the Key to Time stories of Tom Baker's season 16. There was a whole, it was a whole thread for the entire season 16. It was pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, so they came up with Modern Undead, which is the story before Terminus, which kicked things off by introducing a new companion named Turlo that had the interesting twist of being a companion that met, was meant to work against the Doctor, thanks to the influence of the Black Guardian. So are the Guardians Time Lords? So the Guardian, the Guardians are separate. They're eternal beings away. Like, they're kind of outside everything. Oh, like the Q. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I guess they're relevant. Okay. To, so it's like a good and bad Q. So Q and R? I don't know. Q and A. <laughs> Q and A. Uh, so yeah, the Black Guardian, he had wanted revenge against the Time Lord. That was kind of the, the overarching plot going into these three stories. So after Terminus, the trilogy was concluded in Enlightenment. Terminus was Sarah Sutton, who, ha- who was playing the companion Nyssa. It was her farewell story. So I guess there were rumors floating around that we sh- she was supposed to be leaving during the previous season 19 but that Peter Davison had fought in order to keep her on for one more year. Oh, so she she wasn't trying to go? They were just letting her go? That's right, yeah. Okay. So Terminus was directed by Mary Ridge, 
who got her experience doing quite a few of the Blake Seven stories, which caught the attention of John Nathan Turner. And it, Terminus was written by Steve Gallagher, who also wrote season 18's Warrior's Gate, which was the last episode in the eSpace trilogy. So another writer who had trilogy experience, I guess. I'm not quite sure how the story got pitched or how they fitted into this one, but it's kind of neat that he was he was an author that wrote stories in multiple trilogy storylines. That was actually something that I really liked about Doctor Who's. I, I liked it and I hated it because it didn't come on very frequently when I was young, when I was watching Tom Baker, but the it, you had to watch a series of them in order to get the whole story. So oftentimes I would miss like an entire episode while trying to get through a story. Right. And then I thought it was really cool now how they do it with the modern, uh, the modern 2005 Doctor Who series where you um, have a, a series, you have an episode that has an open and close to whatever's going on in that, in that particular story but then there's something about an overarching that goes for the entire season. So I think it's, I, I like that method a lot better than the old method because you can, you can watch anything along the way and still get the complete understanding of what happened in the story. But then there's still that sense of multiple episodes tying together for an overarching story. Totally. Like breadcrumbs spread out through the whole season, yep. right? Yeah, yep. I, th- I think they totally stole it from Babylon 5. Because I think I rem- <laughs> I remember that one kind of being the first one that really he tr- really tried to layer in those type of stories where you had like well just exactly what you just said single stories but with breadcrumbs that spread out through the whole season. Let's see. Oh, it was another one of those episode or another one of those stories. Sorry, that suffered through many technical and production issues, which seems to plague like a lot of them through the years. Uh, there was yet another BBC Electrical Technical Technician Union strike, or issues at any rate, maybe not a full strike, but issues, resulting in a compressed shooting, shooting schedule, which affected work on Terminus and on Enlightenment. They lost a whole day of recording on Enlightenment, I believe, which must have really sucked, uh, given that they have so little time to work on these. Um, so the set wasn't constructed properly when they when they came when they came to the set of Terminus they realized that just before shooting that the set wasn't constructed properly so they had to rework some of it and there was a lot of scenes that were improperly lighted which you can sort of tell in the especially in the second story once they were getting into throughout the ship there's like br- brightly lit areas where you can properly see everything and then there's areas where Definitely lighting was a problem. Uh, Maybe it gave it more character. I don't know. Uh, Many scenes could only afford a single take just because of time, which really led to a lot of frustration by Peter Davison and probably every other actor there. Yep. Um, And just due to the, 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 the funny note I came across was that just due to the seemingly endless amount of delays and difficulties, after the farewell party for Sarah Sutton, she actually needed to come back to finish shooting some of the scenes. So that must have been fun. Let's go out and celebrate, but not too much. We have to come back yeah, tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> we have to come back tomorrow. <laughs> 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 okay. 
So uh, I guess I read a note about this. It said that Stephen Gallagher originally wanted to call uh, Kari uh, Yanni until Eric Saward pointed out that it was the Sanskrit word for the female reprodu- reproductive organ. That's, <laughs> that's right. Oh, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny what they come across because it's, I, I, I don't know how many viewers would be looking through Sanskrit to kind of search to figure through. that out, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of one of those, you know, maybe one day someone Googles the word, look at like trying to find the actress and then oops. But I, I can't, I can't say that I've Googled anything and Google, like I've Googled anything and come across Sanskrit definitions. So I wonder how Eric came up with that. That must've been a really weird, like shower moment, you know? Yeah. So I think it's really interesting to know that I didn't know that about the uh, production in the being improperly lit, all of that. So that really explains a lot because when I'm looking at all of the aesthetic of the episode, I can't help but say to myself, this looks like barely below a high school production. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, like especially when we get to when we start getting into episode two, right? Like where they're on the ship, and then like the actual terminus place, you know? Like it's, oh, and I guess oh, I I did forget to mention um, just as another note that there was a lot of miscommunication with the prop department. So I guess that veneer armor, like you know the veneer, uh, yeah, crew there, the armor there was supposed to be ceremonial in nature sort of on display type of stuff and uh the prop department didn't realize that it was going to be used in actual combat so like it it's really <laughs> it's i mean if if you see when you see this episode it's very clanky like the the sound is so clanky when it like you, every yep. pe- every piece just makes a noise against each other you know it's um it, and the, like the suits really re- reminded me of uh, I know you've seen this before, but it really reminds me of uh, the hockey, the hockey team armor in Strange Brew. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, it it was exactly that kind of feel, where it's like you know very plasticky and very clanky together, right? So, yep, stormtroopers. Yeah, what it reminded me of. That's right. Interesting. Okay, so I'm gonna play a clip in a few seconds. And then we will get into the, well, see, I'm going to edit in a clip in a few seconds. <laughs> so I won't play it right now. I don't now. get to watch it? <laughs> no, that's right. No. No. Don't, not enough time. We have to keep moving. So I'll get a clip in, and then we'll get into the synopsis. It's repeated, Concentrate. You have work to do. What are you doing? Synthesizing an enzyme. I seem to need the practice. You've done it before. Adric did the calculation for me. My own figures aren't as good as you can see. I'll see if I can find his notes before Turlo destroys them. Okay, just for me... Welcome to the synopsis. Welcome to to episode one. All right. So picking up where the previous story, Modern Undead, left off, 
Turlo is in the TARDIS communicating with the Black Guardian through his new shiny little cube thing that he talks to all the time. It glows whenever the Black Guardian commands Turlo to do something. So the Black Guardian starts to command Turlo to sabotage bits of the TARDIS. And in between this, uh, Tegan is running around trying to find Turlo while commenting on how little she trusts him. So there's some back and forth between Tegan and Turlo, and eventually Tegan runs off, well, walks off, storms off. Maybe that's a better description. She storms off to join Nyssa in a room who's working on some kind of weird freakish experiment. There's just like, you know, like a, I don't want to say high school chemistry set, but it's like, like, you know, bubbly. Or like a high school chemistry set. Yeah. I guess it's like bubbly cauldrons everywhere and, you know, pipes leading into other pipes and, and anyways, uh, but Nissa seems to know what she's doing. And one thing I didn't know, I didn't understand in that part. And maybe, sure. Maybe you want to edit this part out. Uh, I don't know, but no, no, go ahead. Okay. So one thing I didn't understand in this part is that I, I didn't understand because I guess I didn't see the previous episodes. So I didn't understand why Tegan distrusted Turlo so much. Yeah, when he seemed to be new, it it was it was confusing. Yeah, and and I guess that's one little trail that would have helped seeing the 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 first story. But yeah, he was kind of like I mean, Turlo in general is a very shifty character, right? And he plays it shifty. So like even even when you're watching him, like you you kind of get a feeling right away just from the way he moves around and, and looks around that he's not entirely on the level, you know? And yeah. so in that, that's a good, that's a good thing you called it out. Uh, Cause yeah, in modern undead, she had a definite feeling that he was up to something, which he was, but he was always, you know, denying everything and acting in, innocent. And uh, in this one, they kind of dialed that up in this first little bit of the episode. I mean, she she's practically ready to throw him out of the TARDIS. I mean, it's yeah. cr- it's crazy. Like, why so hostile, Tegan? I mean, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so but oh, one of the other funny habits of Turlo, I have to I have to mention it now. Uh, he actually made a few comments on it on very in during various what do you call it fan sh- fan interviews. But uh, because he never knew what to do with his hands, he was either rolling up his sleeves one at a time or he was rolling down his sleeves one at a time so he would can if you watch him if you if you keep that in mind and you watch him he's like constantly rolling them up and and rolling them down it's hilarious it's really hilarious but he didn't know what to do with his hands like he just he's one of those actors who yeah you just put your hands by your side and leave them there that's right yeah and it looks <laughs> it, it looks so natural <laughs> yeah <laughs> Which is really funny because that's exactly what we normally do. That's right. Uh, okay, so anyway, while Tegan is talking to Nyssa for a bit, uh, Turlo, of course, is is basically pulling apart the whole central console. It's crazy, you know, and the Black Guardian just has him disabling things, which Turlo blindly does without questioning anything until there's like a, a certain switch or wire that he's supposed to pull. And he like stops himself at the last second, realizing that, hey, you know, the Black Guardian isn't isn't exactly the nicest of guardians, and this might end up killing me, along with the Doctor. 
but yeah, the, and it just suddenly occurred to him. That's right. Yeah, it's like at the very last second. But luckily, this time, uh, it is just a plot to kill the doctor, and it doesn't actually kill Turlo in the process. Anyways, alarms start going off in the TARDIS. The cloister bell starts ringing, and the doctor and Tegan join Turlo in the control room. And it's kind of strange that Nissa doesn't, but I mean, you'll see why in a few seconds because she has to stay in her room. But normally she would also be running in. Hey, what's going on? Anyway, so they realize that a dimensional blurry field is starting to form inside the TARDIS. The TARDIS is starting to break apart, basically. Uh, so Nissa's, Nissa's in a room when suddenly, like half of the room gets really foggy. You know, they do some special effecty stuff, but it gets really foggy. And she starts to see a door forming with a big skull on it, which just, it's a really cool image the way they, the way they uh, edit it in. The doctor is looking through the in, inside TARDIS cameras to keep an eye on Nyssa, and he spots the door and he tells Nyssa to go through it while she still can before the TARDIS breaks apart. So she makes her way through the door and she finds herself in some kind of hallway with clanky floor, floor grates and she panics and starts running away. That uh, always confused me too because why would he think that she should, like something's happening obviously to the TARDIS. It seems like he would know that he's sending her to danger somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and they explain it as some kind of thing where the TARDIS, it's like a self-defense mechanism of the TARDIS. So when it senses that it's, that it's breaking up, right. it, it tries to find something to a- attach to, uh, materialize in, uh, whatever you want to, yep. which does, which the explanation of that does come in handy, of course. Um, <laughs> so they notice on they notice on the TARDIS cam that the door is starting to slowly close again. It's like this giant metallic door which they probably can't open from their side. So the doctor sprints into Nissa's room and he throws a chair right into the door, which wedges, wedges things and leaving, the, leaving a crack right in the door. Uh, so right away, of course, him and Tegan and Turlow, a hesitant Turlow, crawl under the chair and get into the ship before the chair falls away and the door finishes closing on them. So they are separated from the TARDIS. You got to keep it separated. Got to keep it separated. (laughs) So the doctor heads off to try and find Nyssa, leaving Tegan and Turlow behind. You know, I made a whole bunch of notes about Tegan and a whole bunch of notes about Tegan and Turlow, but I don't, I'm not even sure I'm going to read a lot of them because essentially they do nothing. There's a lot of time yeah. wasting. There's a lot of time wasting between Tegan and Turlo because they literally have nothing to do this whole story. So we can pretty much just stop talking about them now. Tegan distrusts Turlo. Turlo's constantly both talking to the Guardian and talking to the Black Guardian and trying to appeal to Tegan that he's actually a friendly guy. That's pretty much all. All we need to remember about them. Okay. Anyway. So the doctor is going through the corridors who, after Nyssa, who seems to have like sprinted quite a long way in the short amount of time that she's been on, right. the, sh- on the ship, which is kind of funny. 
So we find out, well, we don't really find out right away, but eventually we find out that they're on a freighter. On these scenes that they're on this freighter is that there's this constant like wind howl in the background. It's like an ethereal type of howl ambient sound, but it's mm-hmm. it really worked well. I, I don't know who came up with that and... But it it works really well with this ship because this like like for most of this the ship is very deserted feeling, so they're trying to give it like a Mary Celeste kind of you know ghost ship in space type of feel, and I think it works really well. Um, let's see. So the Doctor finally meets up with Nissa, and they turn back to head back towards the TARDIS. We don't quite see where, but somewhere else in the freighter, a section of the wall explodes and two pirates come into the ship with drawn guns drawn and crazy giant bubble helmets. They are and, just and one of them or one or both of them are fogging up with the poor actors. <laughs> That's right. It's it's oh it is weird. Like when you see it, it's funny. It's funny weird. Yep. But yeah, they are these giant plastic bubbles that are props around their heads basically so one so there's a, a male and a female the male is named olvir and the female is named kari or big hair or big hair yeah we can call her big hair because they're i mean she's got the 80s glam big hair it was it's pretty cool uh so the pirates make their way to the bridge of this freighter and they find that it's fully automated so there's a computer running the whole show and they finally take off their bubble helmets. Thank goodness. Um, meanwhile, the Doctor and Nissa, while heading back to the TARDIS, they come across the section of the ship that the pirates came through. And so, naturally, the Doctor, being as curious as he is, he wants to find out what's going on, and he heads to the bridge. The Let's see. The pirates realize they're on the wrong ship. I can't remember why. Um, there, there wasn't a reason for that. So it wasn't that they were on the wrong ship. It was that they were on the ship and the pirates that they were with took off and left them there. And there was never any real explanation for that. I I think, yeah, we'll talk about that in one quick second, but I think they got double-crossed. Okay. And they, I mean, they yeah, definitely... That's what I mean, but I yeah. didn't understand why yeah, that they, was never explored. They they did de- they definitely got double cross yeah and there was a weird one line there about uh, some friend was it childhood anyway we'll we'll get there in just two seconds but uh, yeah we'll talk about that um, so put a pin on that until we get there okay um, so let's see yeah so the the pirates try to communicate their ship to come back when they hear the doctor and Nissa approaching and so they they hide well hide in quotes hide in plain sight. Maybe that's the best way to do it. That's what they usually do in Doctor Who. They hide in plain sight. So the Doctor comes onto the bridge, and him and Nyssa are met by the pirates with guns drawn, wondering what's going on. Uh, So then, yeah, we, we get to the point where the pirate ship disengages from the freighter and takes off, abandoning the two that are on the bridge with the Doctor and Nyssa. 
The female pirate, well, I'll call her Big Hair. Uh, Big Hair tries to radio the ship, but she just gets static. So I think basically the someone was paid on their crew. Uh, this is what I'm getting. This is this is my theory. Someone was paid on that on their crew to double cross them and abandon them on the ship because of what it is and where it's going. So someone had contacted them, hired them to work with Big Hair and Olvir to drop them off on this ship and then take off. Maybe it was because Olvir was looking for his sister. And so I think that's what it was. Yeah, like he was. Maybe he was to shut him up. But yeah, it was never. It was never ferreted out. So yeah, you're right. You're right. I forgot about that. He was looking for his sister, and yeah, it. it they. It, it's crazy what kind of threads that they introduce in Doctor Who, and they just never have time to go back to. Yep, and I, I, I kind of think that we met her also later in the episode, but. Again, that was never, and I, I bet they never go back to it. But I feel like Nissa met her. I think you're right. Yeah, but we don't know for sure. You're right. I think you're right. I I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's let's just pretend that's who it is. Yeah, because then it, it <laughs> then it ties up some of those loose threads. Yep. Uh, so let's okay. So suddenly, an alarm rings on the bridge, and all the bridge windows start closing up. Skipping through some Tegan Turlo stuff, blah blah blah. Uh, back on the bridge, the doctor realizes that the ship they're on is preparing to dock with something. So the pirates finally put their guns away, and they agree to work with the doctor. It's funny how that happens in just about every story. Yeah. It's like they've always got the upper hand, and then they say, "Okay, well." Sure, Doc, you you take over. <laughs> but it's the only way this works. I mean, it, yep. it, it would yep. be it would be so tedious if every story they had to argue back and forth until finally the doctor would get his way anyway. You know, so yeah. Uh, anyway, okay. So an an automated announcer comes on and starts to broadcast messages from Terminus Incorporated. Uh, the doctor figures it's a good time to bail. He feel, he suddenly feels it would be a lot safer in the TARDIS, so they lead. He leads everyone off the bridge to head back that way. And there's ominous messages about the passengers of the freighter should disembark before the ship goes through a process called sterilization, which always sounds so friendly. Um, so while they're heading back through the corridors, all of the doors start to open up at once, which is pretty cool. Uh, like, it's a really cool effect. You hear a lot of moaning sounds coming from all of these all of these doors, which suddenly open up, and loads of people, which are all, like, pale skin, and they've got these tattered clothes, which are totally just falling apart. They all start coming out together into this, into this, into the ship's corridor. Freighter's Corridor, sorry, uh, surrounding yep. like the Doctor, Big Hair, and Olvir. And then suddenly Olvir realizes where they are and what's going on, and which is actually a really cool one. He starts uh, shouting that they're on a leper ship and that they're all going to die. So we, we skipped Tegan because we said we were going to skip their story because they weren't really doing anything. But there is one thing that happened right before this one of those doors opens and somebody reaches out and grabs a hold of Tegan 
because and Tegan thinks it's Nissa behind the door. Right. And Tegan so is there like handled by these lepers, but somehow doesn't get sick. Plot armor? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Because you're right. right. It, it, like it, it looks like uh, Sarah Sutton barely gets breathed on, and all of a sudden she's got you know le- sick. level five leper sickness. Yep. I don't know what it is. But yeah, but I thought this cliffhanger was really cool. It worked really well. All right, so uh, episode two we had some updated graphics for the special effects. Yeah, on BritBox. Sorry, I, maybe Brit- I sh- maybe I should have mentioned that I watched it on Brit- BritBox. The okay in in the intro, I meant to say that and now available in the UK because it's been so long since I made the notes for this story. Now available in the UK is the uh, all the classic Doctor Who stories on the BBC iPlayer which is really cool and phenomenal and it's a huge coup for uh well every fan basically except for the fact that we don't live in the UK. Yep. So every we, fan inside the UK. That's right. So so it, all we have is Britbox if you're outside of the UK. Anyway. Yep. Yeah, I watched it on Britbox also so I don't know the difference between uh the updated and the non-updated graphics. Anyway, Moving right along, the ship uh, docks with this new other ship, and now the lepers are out of the room, and they shuffle about the freighter onto the space station. The doctor is convinced that the um, that Oliver knows uh, something about the group ahead. He's convinced that he knows something about that group, and so they all start to follow after the group with him. Right, and um. With the with the lepers gone, we're, we're back to the business with Tegan and Turlow, and I, I think I saw something about um, an interview with them where the he talked about her having a very nice behind or something because he was behind her most of the time. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like was, like. He was either behind her or below her as they were going up a ladder. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much any any scene from from the beginning, once they hit the freighter, any scene with Tegan yep. and Turlo, they're in the ductwork. Yep. So they probably filmed all that in a day, all of those scenes in a day. Yep. They said we'll come back to you guys later. This is all about Nissa right now. That's right. But we're not going to show Nissa either because she's going to be missing. That's right. <laughs> it's what we do for character development. That's right. Um, so, uh, of course, those two hit a dead end, and, and then that's when they start heading upwards. Um, the doctor, again, is convinced uh, that Oliver knows something. And um, did I just skip back? I did. Got that part. Yeah, we got that part. We're on the bridge part. Okay, yep. Doctor makes it back to the bridge. And um, he starts to mess around with these little colored bricks 
and moving them from slot to slot and calling it a computer yeah. to figure out Terminus. And so he has Nissa explore the rest of the bridge and he comes across, or she comes across Oliver again and um, who, who's like shrunk into a corner in fear. Yeah, he's and like curled up she, into a ball. Yep. And then you can see that she's not feeling well and uh, she almost faints and starts looking pretty pale. So the doctor finds some star charts and they start to paint a picture of um, Terminus is at the exact center of the universe. Zero, zero. But, yep, but it's going to take the doctor a bit. Like the, the charts all were showing that that might be the case, but it took him a little bit to really like realize that it was at the very center. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. Like with that is very odd that he didn't like that would be something that he would know straight away. Yeah. Like maybe yeah. they maybe they learned about it in school in Gallifrey, you know, like Yep. Yep. Um especially when it comes out what that really means later. Yeah. So uh, Nissa coaxes out Oliver and um, he explains that his sister had Lazar's disease and was sent to Terminus herself for the cure and never returned. And he said that the corporation running Terminus are just after the profits and don't answer to anyone. Who wants to deal with the, the Lazars? So nobody ever can figure out what's going on because it's all closed off and they've only got these uh, prisoner guards who are wearing the armor that we were talking about earlier yeah. uh, running around in there. And I feel like in the very beginning of the episode, there was something with one of those guards that we missed that was learned something in the computer and went into the, the forbidden zone. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. Or it's coming up. I think okay. it's coming up. I think it's coming up, but it, yeah. Tegan and uh, Furlo and Turlo. Tegan and Turlo are still climbing about and they start to hear something and um, they're coming to the spot where we find the guard wearing the ancient plastic armor. It's like this really With faded the, red color. Yep. And the the thing that got me about that armor was that the the face plate was like swinging like it's supposed to protect them from the radiation but it's just like yeah loosely swinging in the wind <laughs> as he moves around <laughs> I know. you know what it really so, reminded me of and this this is this is a really this is a really out there reference but it really reminded me there's a scene in ferris bueller's day off where the principal is like he's out looking for Ferris, and he's and he's got these sunglasses, these shades, the and ones he, that flip up. And he and yep. he's yes, he's staring in one direction, and he flips them up, and then he stares another way and flips them down again, right? And that's that's yep. exactly what I was thinking of when I saw this this visor, these visors that they're using. Anyway, that that's funny because it what it reminded me of was uh, Monty Python with uh, who was the one that was like in what floats other than a duck. Because oh. he was constantly having his his uh, visor like that opening and closing, and he kept opening and closing it himself. And That's right. He was kind of swinging. Yep. Very small rocks. 
So anyway, he comes along and uh, he orders a robot thing that comes out of nowhere to sterilize. And um, so Turlo and Tegan don't like the name of this, or the sound of that. So they keep on moving. And then another guard comes along named Bor, and he is looking at equipment and worried to see the radiation levels are still going up. So he wanders over to another area. It's on the edge of what the guards call the Forbidden Zone. And it's got like big yellow construction lines on the floor. Yeah. Do not cross. Yep. The guard lumbers across the line, um, heading into the area. Another guard comes into the room named Valgard, pulling his mask off and yelling at Bor to come back. Bor refuses as he's trying to find out what's going on. So this is the part that I was talking about earlier. Okay, yeah, yeah. Some of them almost look vampire-like to me. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially uh, the, yep. their leader. Yeah, you're right. The leader, yep. Yeah, it, it was bringing up a lot of um, uh, recent vampire movie vibes to me. That's a good one, yeah. Um, Bor refuses because he's going to go find out what's going on. And so Valgar rushes back to the other guards and uh, confronts their leader, Eric. A-er-ak. Eric. Yeah, Eric. Eric. These names. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Valgard wants to do something for Bor, but Eric refuses because he uh, he knows that Bor will return for his hydromel, which is this medicine that keeps them all alive. It's a green chemical that these guards all need to survive in the radiation. But I guess they're all dying anyway. Yeah. So they're sold into the company, which then begs the question, to, like, if they hate it so much, why why not just let themselves die? And how are they not getting the disease? Right, the Lazarus disease. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's yeah, yeah. it's it's they they nobody they don't get into too many details of how this disease is actually passed on because you know, like you were saying earlier, Tegan gets like manhandled and yep. nothing nothing happens. Meanwhile, Sarah just kind of breathes some of the air that's around them and, and she comes down with it. Or, T- or Nissa, I should say. Nissa, yep. And, and so these guards, and these guards have been there for who knows. It, I mean, you get the impression these guards have been there for a really long time. And yeah, they're okay. So, and they've got on these flimsy, you know, I mean, you can't call them, you know, they're not the typical uh, movie environmental protection agency outfits that you see in the X-Files and things like that, right? So, Yep, yep. So these guys are basically addicts hooked on the company drug. Yep. So um, back on the bridge, lights start to flash and the computer comes on announcing the uh, freighter will soon depart once it's finished sterilization. Um, Tegan and Turlo are still in the duct and get flooded with the gas and Nyssa prints out a map of the freighter saying that there's two possible points for the TARDIS. They split into two groups, Olver and Nyssa, metal, uh, big metal hair, <laughs> <laughs> big metal hair. haired chick yeah. and doctor. You know, what's interesting. So, um, I don't know if you know this, but, uh, big hair was played by, uh, Lisa Goddard, who was the former wife of, uh, Colin Baker. Oh really, Doctor? Okay, yeah. that's cool. That would have been a really good. Well, that that's a great tip for right now, even in the intro. Yeah, nice. Yep. 
Thanks for that. Yep. So Oliver quickly notices that something is wrong with this. So she's got Lazarus disease. And so he quickly abandons her, of course. Yeah. While the little robot grabs her arm and takes her away. The, the arms on this droid were like, I, you thought they were going to fall off. Yeah. As it's moving around. And so somehow it's got her in this fragile clutch <laughs> and she goes. <laughs> the death grip. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I she mean, was just afraid of it. That's right. Yeah, paralyzed by fear. So, yeah, so, it, it looks um, like one one good cough could could disintegrate yeah. the robot, right? So, yep. Uh, so, more announcements coming uh, about stage two sterilization, and eventually, Nissa is taken to Velgard, who's waiting on a small elevator, and he's surprised at how healthy Nissa still looks. And then gets a little annoyed when she starts asking him questions. He explains that she'll be taken to the Garm, but that that's all he knows. Nobody ever returns from meeting with the Garm. Which, that, to me, like, why would you tell the patient that he's going to go help you and then say that? And, and why Nobody would you... Nobody ever returns. Yeah. <laughs> so just, you know, come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah. But also, why, the, why would they never want to find out what the Garm is doing? Right? Well, because they don't care. I They're guess. They're just there for the drugs. Yeah, yeah I guess. It's kind One of, of the other guards finally locates a shipment of hydromel that was on the freighter, and he pulls out an empty, dull-looking tube from, the chest, from his chest and drops it, uh, drops in a green one from the shipment. So those things look to me like those little glow sticks that we always got when we were kids. Totally, totally. I think that's all they were, glow stick props. Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, so he comes back to Valgard. The two of them bring Nissa down to the elevator, and we see that Olver has followed them from a distance because they can't see him in all this bad lighting. Yep. And uh, is watching them go down. So then we switch back to the doctor and Big Hair, and they come across Nissa's skirt which she took off when the robot grabbed her. So um, this actually was a thing that Nissa did because Sarah, Sarah Sutton, when she was on the show and she knew this was the end of her time there, she was getting letters all the time complaining that um, Nissa had, was too covered up. Yeah. So she decided when she left the series on, that in Terminus she took off her skirt as a parting gesture to all those fans who had written in. Yeah. And apparently I, it, it caused a big stir. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like she, she, but they, but they, the way they do the makeup, it's very, uh, like she's very like pale, like really pale. Yeah. So you, you, like you, you almost like it. All I'm trying to say is that it, her clothes just seem to blend into her skin. Blend that, in. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just because of how, how the makeup was but anyway yeah that, that was funny the doctor and big hair try to contact Oliver, and then back in the station this is taken to some sorting area where eric orders valgard to contact the garm for him to look for boar while nissa is taken away the purpose of the scene is to introduce us to the garm and his summoning station basically yep valgard walks to a panel next to the forbidden zone and waves his hand over it it emits a pulsing tone that eventually summons the Garm. A giant walking werewolf-looking creature yep. lumbers in with these red eyes, painted lines. 
uh, he, he comes up on the edge of the painted lines and uh, Valgard orders him to go look for Bor and return with his body for the radiation armor. We find out they're all called the veneer. Yeah, finally. Garm, yeah. Garm nods and wanders away. Back to the doctor and Big Hair. They can't get through on the communicator to Ulver. As they are trying, Tegan and Turlo are shouting to them for, from their duct, and suddenly a gas comes flooding in the area, and uh, the doctor and Big Hair run off, just in time not to hear it. That's right. Nissa is in a waiting room with dozens of Lazars, and this is where I think we meet Olver's sister. Yeah, I think so too. There's many scenes here where she's just looking around at their plight with empathy. The doctor and Big Hair make it to the elevator. Uh, the veneer uses the bulkhead on the freighter, closes up, and they head down, unaware that Valgard is below them, watching from approach. Tegan and Turlo are safe from, from the gas, but still looking for a way out. And Big Hair and Doctor reach the Forbidden Zone. The Doctor is still mulling over the fact that they're at the center of the universe when Valgard shows up and starts choking the Doctor. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. Really? For what reason? Exactly. I have no who idea. Is this, who is this other guy? Let me kill him. Boy, do I hate cricket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all got to go. It's, it's got to. You know, even at the end of the universe, that's... It's yep. just got to go. Yeah, it was it was interesting because he like with such violent vengeance, he lunges at the doctor, you know, and yep, it's like he's responsible for his his being a guard. I don't know. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So now we get into a starting of episode three. We get into a fight between the doctor and Valgard. Uh, while Valgard Valgard is choking the doctor. He throws Big Hair to the ground, so some pirate she turns out to be. Yeah. But all is not lost. She finds her laser gun on the floor and a in like a, a critical she rolls a critical success as she shoots a laser bolt into some pre into some nearby equipment which deflects the laser beam into Valgard's helmet. Anyway, it it works. It works. I'm I'm making jokes, but it works. Uh, so he screams over, and he f- and he falls over beside all the equipment. So the doctor and Big Hair get back up, and they cross into the forbidden zone. So Valgard recovers, and he heads back to the guard HQ, which looks like a a closet, basically. I mean, it's not really a headquarters. Yeah, it's like a tent. That's what it. That's what it looks like. I thought it was a tent at first. Yeah. So speaking of the tent, uh, Olvir has found it, and it's empty currently, uh, and he starts sneaking inside, and he gets the brilliant idea of stealing some of the armor. So meanwhile, Arak is going through the shipment of Hydromel, and he's disgusted to find that a few vials are just colored water, so they're not even getting pure stuff. I couldn't figure out how they could tell. I, I don't know either. He had some kind of like chemical measuring equipment, that's what it looked like. That he would he would like drop the tube into and then it would analyze okay the contents of it but yeah like it's it's not re- I think it, the only purpose is is to just show show us how terrible the company is and that they're enslaved just as much as the the Lazars are by this company this you know overarching um, quote unquote company uh, so Valgard comes in telling Arak that there's an intruder with big hair. And that they've taken refuge in the Forbidden Zone. 
He doesn't actually call her big hair. That's just me throwing in big hair. <laughs> Although it would have been because really, hila- yeah, it would have been really hilarious yeah. if he did. Big hair here. Anyway, Eric theorizes that the company has cut back on the hydromel supply. Genius that Eric is, and they need to figure out why. So the doctor and big hair could be agents from the company. So they must be captured and interrogated. In front of all the veneer, there's a standoff, a leadership standoff between Valgard and Eric. Valgard demands that Eric step down as leader. I can't remember a reason why, just because he doesn't, because he's just as curious about the doctor. So I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's because he felt like he could, he he could run things better. Okay, so it's it's like just the that. decisions he's making. Yeah. Okay, so it's just a generic. I think I could do better type of thing. Okay. Yep. So Eric agrees to step down if Valgard can bring back the two spies from the Forbidden Zone. Valgard knows it's a trap, but he agrees to the terms and he leaves. So we have another guard named Sigurd, which, I don't know, it, it's not really too important keeping all of these guards apart from each other. Just another guard spots Olvir in the supply room and he runs back to uh, Arak to report it. Instead of doing something about it. Instead of doing something about it, right. I mean, he has a guard. Right. But I guess a guard needs orders, so I can't really do anything without orders. So Arak is convinced that it's another spy, and so they rush. They all rush back into the supply room. So the doctor, meanwhile, in the, in the Forbidden Zone, the doctor is puzzled why nobody has repaired the radiation leak, which seems to be emanating from the Forbidden Zone. Arak and the guards, they arrive too late as Olvir is gone, leaving a dummy in place, which is, uh, I mean, I don't know how you found this, but it was a ridiculous looking scene where they're supposed to think that it, it's like a, a, a cape draped over a hat stand is supposed to be a, a person. That's kind of what Olvir left for them. And, you know, for a few seconds, they're... The rest of them, Arak and, and the other guards, are supposed to believe that this is another person. And anyway, it just looks it looks just weird. Arak strikes it, it down. It also begs the question, why? Yeah, it, there really isn't a point. Why? Uh, you're right. Why? <laughs> he could just not <laughs> not be there, right? Um, yep. So anyway, Arak strikes it down, and he thinks that Blondie was imagining the whole thing. Maybe that's why. Maybe, maybe so that, that they could sort of write it off. Olvir is sneaking towards Valgard, who's on the edge of the Forbidden Zone. Um, and Valgard turns around, sees him, and starts raging, thinking that Olvir was sent by Arak to make sure that he went into the Forbidden Zone. So he starts saying, you know, okay, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Hold your, you know, calm down. So he lumbers over the Forbidden Zone line painted on the floor, and wanders into uh, that whole section of the ship. Uh, meanwhile, Arak decides that Nyssa should be taken for the treatment, and they take her away. Back because in, she's better than everybody else. I, I guess, yeah. It's not really clear. You know, They didn't analyze anyone else. They just took one look at Nyssa. Maybe it was the missing clothes. Maybe that's what did it. <laughs> uh, back in the Forbidden Zone... Uh, the doctor and Big Hair finally locate the source of radiation that they've been looking for. 
and they come across Boar, who's severely burned. His like face is like half burnt off. It's actually pretty good makeup. His face is half burnt off, and he's trying to stockpile scrap metal onto one of the engines of Terminus. It's like pretty pathetic that he thinks it's it's going to work, but I mean, he's obviously so like kind of lost it that he thinks it's going to help with the radiation. Uh, anyway, Bor is pretty well far gone, as I've just kind of mentioned, but he manages to tell him that if the damaged engine explodes, it would threaten the entire universe. A similar event happened long ago when the first engine exploded. Another clue drops, another clue drops. He advises the doctor to follow some cables that are on the wall and check a nearby computer. But before he can do so, he's ambushed by Valgard. So Valgard is still convinced that the Doctor and Big Hair are company spies and attacks them. He ends up being thrown into the metal pile that Bor had made in front of the damaged engine. As, but meanwhile, as they're fighting, Garm quietly lumbers into the room and picks up Bor, taking him away. So yeah, when I say quietly, um, this whole scene is kind of funny because, because of uh, you know, our, our comments earlier about how the armor is like this loud plastic. So during this fight scene, it's like a lot of clanging and, and you know, plastic hitting each other as the Doctor and, and Valgard are fighting. So meanwhile, Nyssa is chained up for some reason, chained up at, at the entrance to the Forbidden Zone, while Arak uses the summoner to call the Garm. So the Garm drops off Boar, and he takes Nyssa back into the Forbidden Zone. So he, he drops off Boar. Uh, to the guards at the at the Forbidden Zone line, and he unhooks Nissa and brings her into the Forbidden Zone. And wasn't that happening while Olver was fighting with someone with Arak? Maybe not yet. Okay, that's the next fight. Because uh, they took Nissa from him while he was standing there, or was it? No, it was Nissa. Yeah, it was Nissa. Yeah, it's a little bit later. I, I know. I think okay. I know. I think I know what I'm talking about. But yeah, she's kind of chained up to a pole, like like she's some kind of tribute, like sacrifice. Yep. Like it's a, it's weird imagery. Uh, but at any rate, Olvir bursts into the room and tries to stun the Garm with his laser, but to no effect. He just ignores Olvir basically, and he keeps walking with Nissa into the Forbidden Zone. So Olvir follows them. Uh, Blondie has taken Boar back to their HQ and he's trying to question him. Boar is in a rambling state of mind due to the radiation sickness, but he mentions that their pilot is dead and if Terminus tries to fire up the last engine, it will trigger the Big Bang all over again. Does he actually say Big Bang or is it just a lot of... I think he like he drops a lot of clues that it's, that yeah, it's a big I think explosion. Said that, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so I, Iraq is there and he refuses to give him any hydromel, considering it a waste of resources. Meanwhile, the doctor is following the, pa- the cables on the wall that Bohr had mentioned earlier. And finally, him and Big Hair come across a dead pilot in his chair. And I mean, you, you can't help but think of Alien. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what I thought when I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it, I mean, it's like the BBC Doctor Who version of Alien, where... They find him 30, 30 years before. 30 years before. <laughs> 30 years before. It wasn't 30, was it? No. <laughs> no, no, no. It was like 10 or so years. Anyway. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, that was the imagery I, I kind of came up with while I was watching that too. Uh, anyway, uh, let's see. Okay. So the Garm has chained up Nissa in the engine room where they just were. And so Olvir runs in and tries to free her. Yeah. She, he tries to free her and then he's attacked by Valgard. Maybe that's the battle you're thinking of. Um, so meanwhile, the doctor is finally piecing things together. Terminus was a time ship that had dumped some of its fuel while in a time flight to avoid an overload. The fuel being dumped into a void had started the chain reaction, which became the Big Bang, or Event 1, as they call it in Castrovalva. They refer to it as Event 1. With this discovery, the doctor realizes that the Terminus computer has started a countdown to dump the remainder of its fuel again which could cause another chain reaction that might destroy the entire universe. End of episode three. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. It wasn't that good of a cliffhanger compared to the other two, but... No, I did think it was interesting about finding the computer and, and finding that... Finding the, the original pilot of the ship and everything. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. Agreed. It was a neat touch. They didn't need to have the pilot there, so it was a neat touch. Now we're getting into the part that just had me shaking my head. Yeah. So, episode four, Valgard and Ulver are fighting while the Garm comes back and takes Nissa away, and this is what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Ulver defeats the much older Valgard, throwing him back into the the scrap pile in front of the damaged engine, but then... As he's standing there staring at his now-defeated foe laying there in the ground, he very slowly turns around just in time to miss the Garm coming back in and <laughs> taking away Nyssa. Yeah. And it's so deliberately slow, Yeah, it's, it's painful to watch. Yeah, yeah. I think the timing was off. He was supposed to... I think he was supposed to do it while they're fighting, and then that way, when it's yeah. gone, he looks around. But yeah, he's not supposed he's to see the Garm taking slow. Nyssa away. Slowly he turned, <laughs> step by step. It was bad. So, Over attempts to grab his laser gun, which is on the ground directly in a pool of radiation, but Valgard warns him not to get it. Valgard then reveals that he used to be a pirate himself and was trained by Over's commander, who later betrayed and sold Valgard to determine... Oh! So I think that's the same commander that, 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 that yep. abandoned Olvir and Big Hair. There we go. That may be what it was. So he's got a history of just double-crossing everyone. Yep, but missed this little piece when I was watching it because it was too, it was too, too far away. I think. Yeah. So he begs Olver for sympathy, but Olver ignores him and leaves him to look for Nissa. Valgard easily stands up on his own because he's faking his. Uh, he actually reached his hand up. Please help me up. You've yeah. already beaten me. Yeah, please, Governor. Um, yeah, he stands up and then he grabs a pole and and fetches Olver's laser gun without crossing over there himself. Um, the Doctor Big Hair are trying to pull on this gigantic switch in order to stop the fuel dump, but they're too weak because it's only intended for someone with super strength. Apparently, yeah, that's right. And uh, Big Hair mentions that the pilot must have had the strength of a giant. And the doctor realizes that they needed the Garm. Meanwhile, uh, Nyssa wakes up in the white chamber to discover that she's totally cured from Lazar's disease. 
Ulver confronts the Garm about what the Garm is doing to the, the Lazarus for his cure, and the Garm defends his actions and brings Ulver to the cured Nyssa. Nyssa tells him that the cure for Lazarus works, but it needs to be properly studied to be consistent. So basically, and, oh, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, so So basically the cure, the quote-unquote cure, is basically blasting them with radiation. Yep. But it's it's so improperly calibrated, It just there's just a blanket blast of radiation, and it just happened to cure Nyssa. And some of the others, but not all of them. That's right. That's right. The doctor and Big Hair summoned the Garm, and uh, they returned to the pilot's area. The Garm is able to force the override lever before the fuel is dumped, which resets the system. But not before making a deal with them, saying that they should let him go if he does this. That's right. And and not only that, but uh, they tell him that they need him to do this, and he looks at the switch, and he looks at them, and he says, is it necessary? Yeah. The doctor disables everything from the computer so it can't happen again. The Garm pleads for his freedom as a reward for helping them. The doctor agrees and smashes the control box that summons the Garm. Um, everyone meets up together, Nissa promising that they can improve upon the cure with the Garm's willful cooperation. Belgard protests that even if it's true, the corporation will still be enslaving them Well, with the Hydromel and uh, would halt shipments if it hears that they're working to make, on making the cure better. So Nissa realizes that she can synthesize the hydromel from pretty much nothing on the ship. Yep. Removing the corporation from the equation where there would be no retribution since the rest of the galaxy is already afraid of Terminus because of Lazar's stigma around it. Arak returns to the group and realizes that he's been deposed as the leader of the veneer and Belgard takes over with Sigurd and Bor's support, along with Nyssa. A deal is a deal. Nyssa <laughs> that she is staying behind and bids the doctor and Tegan farewell. Are you sure? Yes. Yes, dear, I'm sure. Yeah. I finally figured out what the meaning of my life is. And it's here, amongst the lepers. That's right. That's right. It was a good ending for Nyssa. It, it, uh, it was a good sciencey ending, which made use of her all of her skills. Except for, like, she didn't even really analyze the hydromel. She just kind of took one look at it. Oh, yeah, I can synthesize that. Oh, I can, yeah, I can synthesize this from the nothing that we have here on the ship. <laughs> That's right. I think I saw some plastic back there. <laughs> That's some right. painted lines. That's right. I mean, I was doing that in, when I was in kindergarten. I mean, come on, you guys. We made, we made hydromel for, you know, for science, for my science fair in grade six. Exactly. Yeah. But I also thought it was a little bit. A little bit strange that you know usually in these kind of stories where there's like one one npc against another npc the one npc that's the bad npc they end up having to kill him or you know like he has to die or he has to be you know something has to happen to him yeah. you know but in this one you know Eric, who's the bad npc just kind of says oh okay you you win you win Valgard. yep so you're right I'll, I'll follow you now yeah it, it was a little bit strange but whatever okay so i wrote down some figures of the uh viewing numbers so episode one had 6.8 million episode two had 7.5 million so everyone was really curious what would happen with nissa in the lazar ship episode three 
back down to 6.5 million. And then finally, episode four with 7.4 million. That's interesting. So the, the first and third were a, a full million lower almost. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is curious. Terminus was the middle of the Black Guardian trilogy. And I also wrote down here a note that uh, there have been a few themed like seasons and storylines in classic Doctor Who that have turned out to almost all of them have turned out to be fan favorites. So you had like the Key to Time, which was in Tom Baker's season 16. You had the East Space trilogy, which was also in Tom Baker's uh, run in season 18. And now this Black Guardian trilogy. So that Black Guardian looked like he had a bad hair do. Like it was an old man that had a wig on, it looked like that was like a really bad hairdo. <laughs> I I think it's supposed to be a crow. Okay. Like a black crow. I think like the, I think that's kind of the imagery they're going for. But yeah, I get you. I get you. And yeah. but his but his voice makes up for it. Yeah. Oh, like it's just beautiful. Like uh uh Valentin Dial, I think that's what his name is. Um he plays the Black Guardian and his voice is like it's it's so unmistakable. Okay, so what did you what did you think? What did you think of the story overall? The story I liked a lot. I thought it was interesting. I I mean, you can feel that it was rushed on the especially on the set. There like it seemed like Tegan and Turlo were just there for filler, you know, mainly to carry along the um the Black Guardian story. Right. Uh, and and that was pretty much it. Yeah. For being about Nissa and being her farewell episode, she wasn't in it most of the time. So it was, <laughs> they were looking for her most of the time. Um, so it felt like she wasn't like even really there that much in it. So it was kind of a surprise to me at the end. Yep. Because um, like I said, I hadn't seen it before. So um, it was a surprise to me at the end when she was like, oh, yeah, this is it. I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. And, and you know, but that but that being said, she's still got more more character development than what she normally gets in a, I mean, yeah. it's, it's almost criminal how little time the companions would get in each of these stories. Um, yep, yep. They, they really tried to do and, 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 and it's weird because after, you know, when this is now the 20th year, you would think that they would figure out a way to balance that a little bit more. Right. And um, you know, but I guess challenges of trying to create a story, an interesting story, with with these characters means that you can't really spend a whole lot of time. Yeah. Because it's really ultimately about the Doctor, right? So. Right, right. And I, I think this is, is this the last time that they have three companions? No, it isn't. In one of the interviews with, I think it was with Eric Sayward himself, it, it might have been uh, one of the behind-the-scenes type of talks with him. He was mentioning that by this time, it was already becoming really hard to try and write Turlo as, you know, without being killed off right away from the Black Guardian because he's obviously not going to kill the Doctor. A certain ability to find the lens. I think that's what Mark brought to the team uh, very, very effectively. <laughs> he seemed to know exactly when to turn around <laughs> to get the final exiting shot. Uh, no. um, it, it certainly did bring a dynamic. And as I say, I think it, I, I think it worked very well in... in 
um, Morton Undead. I just think uh, in, in that case it would have worked better as a character that came in for that story. But then to turn him into a companion brought with it its own problems. I don't think John really quite foresaw how difficult it would be. The drawback was the fact of him having to kill the Doctor, wanting to kill the Doctor. You can't sustain that. It just doesn't work week after week after week. You will be destroying one of the most evil creatures in the universe. He calls himself the Doctor. And I think it resulted uh, in Turlo being locked in, in, you know, by cupboards and cells and whatever, just to get him out of the way. Otherwise, you had a problem. It wasn't thought through enough. You know, Eric Sayward was saying that already by Terminus, it was it was really difficult trying to come up with something to, you know, keep the audience illusion that Turlo was actually still shifty and, you know, not quite on the doctor's side, but at the same time, you know that he's not going to kill the doctor. Right. So, so that's why they, that's probably why they separated him. Yeah. And uh, Tegan. And, yeah. And they kept him with Tegan so that they could reconcile her distrust of him. That's right. I mean, I guess that was the other really important part of the two of them together in this story is that they basically, yeah. uh, so I guess it was enough for Tegan to convince her that he was on, on their side. Uh, let's see. I, d- I don't really have much else. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention on this one? I don't think so. I think we covered everything. Okay. Um, I, I did mention at the start, this has got me wanting to watch the rest of uh, the trilogy and see what's going on with this Black Guardian. So Yes. Enlightenment is really cool. I do recommend that one. So oh, I got to watch the beginning of it now it, to see what... And <laughs> Modern Undead is just as cool. So I think the whole trilogy is a winner. Okay. Yeah, they put together a real. So yeah, okay. So why don't you? Did you want to give a rating on this one on Terminus? What's our scale again? Um, you know, I've already forgotten. I think it's out of five. But I'm going to say I'm going to put. Uh, you know, I think I'm going to come up with a rule. We can't say three out of five. What? Yeah. Because <laughs> then every story is a three out of five. Okay. Okay. So it's really. Uh, Four out of five, or so, two out of five. Two and a half? Yeah, we can go halves, but just not a okay, three. Okay, two and a half. Two just, and a half. Okay, why? Not because of story content, but more out of production. Because, it, it's like I said, it was barely below a high school production in the way that it looked in the set. Like, you could tell that it was just plastic hanging and it looked like they used like hot glue on like cardboard or something yep. to make the armor and then painted it spray painted it gold yeah yeah that's a good point yeah i, I would i would agree i would go with that i would cuz if i would say if we could use a 3 i would say a 3 but it's not at a 4 um, I re- yep. I really enjoyed the story. The story was really good. I didn't understand how the Garm ended up there. Like there's, it's yeah, you know, it's kind of about it. yeah, it's just kind of things just ended up in the story together, and y- they don't question <laughs> the characters don't question what's going on. They just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they just go with it. Okay, there's this werewolf. This is the Garm. We call him with this thing. The, oh, okay. How, how do we know it's a Garm? I mean, I I don't know, but yep, we have this chime that that controls him and he won't cross these 
yellow and black painted lines. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on the two and a half. I think it was a uh, uh, for almost, I guess, almost the same reasons. Just the, I think yep. what 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 shot him in the foot were the uh, was the production quality uh, needing to shift everything around at the last second before shooting. I think shows. It shows what 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 can happen if you're not careful. Um, I will say though that the that the set of them going through the freighter when they first get there, I thought that was really well done. Yeah, that looked good. Yeah, it looked really good. They they did a good job at that. So, but it was it was this rickety scaffolding that they shot uh, some of the last bits, the, most of the last two episodes in that just yep. it looked it looked pretty bad. Okay, um, I wrote down notes on which one we're doing next. I don't know if we wanted. I think we should tease everyone on what one we're doing next. Ooh, so I'm not. Way, man. Yeah, so I'm not going to leave it a surprise. So I think in the last one, since we did the final episode of Nissa in this one, I think in the next story, in the next episode of this podcast that we do together, we're going to do the last episode of Tegan. Which is okay. in a, which is in a story called Resurrection of the Daleks, which is you about. May have seen that one. Yeah. Which is about Cybermen. No, I'm okay. just I'm I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 it's 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 one of those uh, they used to. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it in some of the some of the future episodes of this podcast. But like they they would they would try and hide the uh, alien that they bring on into the show by not mentioning it in the title. And then in the next one, they would just turn around and mention it right in the title, like just flat out. <laughs> this one's got Daleks, everyone, you know, which is a, Excellent. yeah, that's going to be a really cool one to go through in our next episode. So my name is Eric, and I'm joined by Colin. My name is Colin. That's right. And this is the Summons, <laughs> Summons from Gallifrey podcast. Look for us on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast from. Please leave a rating for the show or review. It would really help spread this show around. The algorithm would pick it up if you just leave a review. You don't even and, have to say uh, words. You just leave a five-star review. <laughs> Everybody go hit that five stars. Is there a way they can get in touch with us too? Is there like a email address or something yes there is i'm glad you brought that up colin we have a mailbag at summonsfromgallifrey.com excellent yes so go ahead and write in those letters telling we'll telling start reading them on air that's right that's <laughs> right we we read all the ones we got for this week so <laughs> that's right <laughs> if you blinked you missed it it was a quick read that's right yeah it was cool well, I had a good time with this one, Colin, and I can't yep. wait. I can't wait to go through Resurrection of the Daleks. Yep. Hopefully, it won't be like deja vu again. That's right. Another year from now. Nope. It'll be. Yes. It'll probably be in the new year, but uh, I won't. E I won't even mention a date yet. <laughs> Very dangerous. It's going to be on. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks everyone. Peace out. Yeah, peace Thanks. out. Have a good one everyone.